In this episode of Your Double Podcast, we are speaking to Dan Hunt, a left behind parent from Seattle, US. We released the part one of this conversation a while back, and this is part two of our conversation together. We have linked the part one of this conversation in our show notes. So if you haven't heard it, please go to our show notes and listen to that first. In part one, we spoke in depth about how Dan got tricked into sleeping with his boss, how he was treated with no respect throughout their relationship, and about his son and daughter with her. In this episode, we are going deeper into what happened after he divorced her, how she continuously manipulated him and her kids, how he was stuck with an expensive and unfair child support payments and so much more. This is going to be a long episode and an emotional one. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. And so far throughout this conversation, right, we have spoken a lot about your struggles trying to keep the marriage together. But I know that you went through a divorce with her. So can you explain how did that come into the picture and how you decided or what made you decide to actually get divorced from her? Well, that, that's, that's, that's what um, I'm kind of laying the foundation for getting at. Um, after we had moved into that apartment, like we had, we had basically were, we were severed. There was really no her and I, um, and we became separated, you know? And by that time also, like we also weren't having sex, like maybe once a year, twice a year. And so I moved, I, we said, we got, we separated, decided that I'm going to move out. I moved out. And, um, while we were separated, I slept with somebody else and, um, uh, later on she asked me, uh, you know, she asked me about it a couple of weeks later and I told her and she was pissed off. I mean, she was angry and, um, and then days later she switches her personality and says says uh, i'll 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 do anything you want to to uh to to keep us together and like and i'm like i'm like i go i just want us to be loving to each other and so she convinces me to move back in i move back in and um and that only lasts for a couple months. And, uh, we decide, we decide that we're going to, we should, we should just get divorced and, and that I shouldn't, I should move out and that we should just get divorced and that I could come pick up the kids on the weekends. And so by this time now, when we had moved into the apartment, I, I had been offered a, a tech, a traveling tech rep position. So I got out of the the shop um, because I was taking in so many chemicals from work, and I just needed I needed to get away from it. So I became a tech rep, um, 
traveling all the time and uh i'd see my kids on the weekends and and she uh <clears throat> were you know were 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 severed you know there's no relationship between us and she uh she is being really nice you know through through all of it you know she's like totally like changing the way she's um carrying herself and you know it's like we like not wanting to be together you know like but but being nice like let me see the kids on the weekends i'm like like i'm seeing the kids on the weekends so i'm like okay well maybe this will be an amicable amicable divorce so um I go to pick up the kids on Saturday and I'm out there out on the street. And before I can even get out of my car, this woman comes up to me and hands me these papers. And basically I'm getting served with divorce. And so I, I'm kind of shocked that she didn't hand them to me because we, we agreed that we were going to divorce, but I just go with it. And because I figured, okay, this is what happens when you get divorced. So I pick up my kids. We go spend the day, go to the movies, go to the park. And, uh, and, um, uh, it's in the papers. It's told that I'm to, to meet, um, at, in, in a meeting in, in a, in a couple of weeks <coughs> in Oregon state law. And, at, uh, and also, I guess I guess I'm kind of veering off track a little bit. Um, throughout our whole time living in Portland, the the friends that I had were I didn't really have many. I had two friends, Aaron and Kylie, that uh, that I was friends with that had both been through divorce, and she hated them. She she didn't like them at all. She never wanted me to go go hang out with Aaron, you know, he was, he was really the only guy friend I had. And, uh, Aaron was a court reporter, is a court reporter. And he said, I don't trust her. Um, and I know she takes a lot of money from you. I've got a lawyer set aside for you to look at your divorce papers. If you want, just buy him a really nice bottle of a malt whiskey. Um, but you know, he's willing to look at your papers. And I said, okay, thank you. You know? And so I don't, I don't take his advice. I, I'm I'm traveling all the time with my work. I have these papers. I'm going through them. I don't quite understand them. And then the meeting happens and we decide to meet at, uh, you know, meet at the, meet at this address early and then and go in and look at and go in with this mediator. So we meet up and she's being super sweet, super nice. And she says, I think, I think we should, I, she goes, this just, um, this just wasn't meant to be. And we should just, we should just try to just get this. We should just try to get this solved today. And like, and just be done with it and, and move on to the next chapter. 
And I go, yeah, I totally agree. I go, it's, uh, it's, it's too bad that these things just didn't work out, but you know, at least we've got two beautiful children. And she goes, you know, yeah, I, to- I totally agree. I go, I go, let's go. We, we go into the meeting and go in. They're explaining to me that like, this is where you sign and you've had time to look through these. Um, these are the child support orders. This is the, this is the, the, the custody order. You, you, you have your rights to your children's school records, medical records, um, <clears throat> and whatnot. And to me, I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is, this is okay. This seems like a pretty run of the mill, like divorce. Um, so I don't quite, um, I don't quite understand what's going on. And so it comes time to sign the papers and I, I signed the papers. It made me say, made it sound like I had like all the same, like we had split rights. We had the same, you know, split custody, split. These are my weekends. These are, these are the, the holidays I get, whatnot. I signed the papers and I will never forget her keeping her mouth tight, shut, and just eyeballing me signing that line. I'll never forget looking up to looking up at her and her watching me sign that paper. And as soon as I signed it, the sense of accomplishment and the sense of I got you on her face, I will never forget. And so we get up and I go, I go, how do you feel? And she goes, she goes, I feel fucking great. And turns around and walks away. And I'm like, what the fuck? What just happened here? I call up Aaron and I go, hey, what are you guys up to? And he goes, we're just hanging out. I'm just going over, you know, he's like, can come to the house. And I go, sure. And I go over to their house. He, he goes, so is it done? Are you divorced? And I go, yeah. And he goes, let me see your, let me see your, let me see your papers. And I hand him my papers and Kylie's there too in, in the living room. And he looks at me and he goes, dude, do you realize what you just done? And I go, I go, no, what? And I like, and I'm, I'm like 30, I'm 30 years old. He's, you know, she, my ex at this time was in her late forties. Right. He goes, dude, you just signed on to a thousand dollars every two weeks in child support and lost complete custody at full custody of your kids. Like this, everything here saying about rights to their, their school records and medical records and whatnot, that's a given on this line. You gave up full custody. You're and what you signed in for child support, you're going to starve and you can't change it for three years. And I go, Oh, and I, I just remember going, fuck. And I go, but it says 750. And he goes, no, that's 750 every two weeks. And I, at this time I was making, you know, when I had taken that tech rep position, I had moved to 50,000, 52,000 a year. He goes, 
he goes, dude, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, you, you didn't, you didn't go talk to Brett, did you? And I go, no, I didn't. I, I go, I was, I was traveling. Like I had just flown back from Alaska, like visiting a shop up there. And he, uh, he, I, I really, I then realized what I had, what I had done. And so I went about my life, my, my child support was pulled from my paycheck and I was left with $500 every two weeks of my paycheck. Uh, so, so I see my kids on the weekends. I barely have enough to really, I don't even, I can't afford an apartment. So I live in a roommate house. Um, I travel all the time with work just because that's how I could afford to eat. And, and because, you know, I had, was traveling. So anytime I traveled, I could, you know, my, my food was paid for. So I, um, that becomes my existence and my existence as a father. And, uh, I then get a letter in the mail, you know, she never talks to me. She, she never wants to like, like, we just don't talk to each other. I get a letter in the mail saying that, um, or served, I get served with a, a paper saying that um, in 90 days, she is going to be moving to Maui, Hawaii. And I'm shocked and and in a state of, of confusion and hurt of like what kind of position I'm in. And, uh, like I'm wrestling with the fact that my God, my, my kids are going to be moving away. Like, and also, and also by this time, like it's just a given that I'm not an important piece of their, of their life. You know, like I was convinced by this time, you know, seven years later in being married to her that like I was, I was, I was third bench, you know, her and her mom were, were the parents and I was just the dad. And, uh, you know, it, it also turned out that her, her, um, that her and her mom also had a falling out. And so every time her and her mom would have a falling out, she'd be nicer to me when her mom and her were getting along. She'd be mean to me. It was a really sick kind of existence. Um, so I remember getting, I get that letter and the three months go by and I'm just trying to take my kids on, take them to cool places on the week, on the Saturdays that I had them and, um, take them to Cannon beach. I'll take them to Oceanside, take them to the movies, you know, anything that I could, I could do and afford. And, uh, I'll never forget the day that, um, I go to, that it comes time for her to move. And there's a pod out in front of the, her place. She's out there with the kids. And, uh, she says, I'll let you walk them around the block. And then we've got to get going. And I just remember walking my kids around Sunnyside school in Portland 
telling them I love them, uh, telling them that I'll come and visit them and that I'll come see them. And, and, uh, and I walk them back across the street to her and she tells them, tell your dad bye. And, and they tell me bye. I get back in my car and I just, <clears throat> I remember just falling com- completely apart that day and uh, just destroyed and just, but also like confused. It, it, the, by this time, and you know, the years of, of being controlled in, and the multiple layers of just conflict and trauma, just, it finally got me to a point where like, I felt like it was starting to chip away at me. And she, uh, ended up, you know, then they ended up moving and just to kind of go back the the times before she had moved, you know, when it, when it came to like, what the kids were doing as far as extracurricular activities and whatnot. Like she was responsible for telling me what they were doing. Um, but throughout the entire time of her, of, of, from that point of being divorced until they moved, she would always give me the wrong time and dates of whenever the kids were doing something. And I, I'll never forget my daughter doing like, like this air band thing through her school as her as a drummer. And, um, and my ex giving me the wrong time of when she was to go on. And I remember showing up, she had already been on and she saw that I just, my daughter saw me that I had just come in through the door. And I remember her saying like, you don't care about me. You don't, you're supposed to be here an hour ago. This. And I'm like, no, honey, it's not that. Like I'm, I, I thought you were going to go on at six. I, your mom told me you're going on at six. And she goes, it's not my mom's fault. And like, that was like, that was this, that was signs of that were that, that was also manipulation starting up with my daughter through her. And if I could look back at that time now, you know, when I was going through divorce, I, I jumped right back into another relationship. And, you know, if I could give any advice now for anybody going through really any type of divorce or divorce, especially where there's, where there's signs of, of parental alienation or and major manipulation going on, and you've been in a, in a volatile, high-conflict relationship, my advice now, my advice to anybody going through that now, male or female, is don't jump into another relationship. My, uh, I had my friend Mickey tell me that, that you know, when I first got divorced, she said, Dan, you need, to, you need to not be with anybody for three to five years. Like, you, you, need, to, you need to kind of be alone with yourself for the next few years. It'll be good for you. And I didn't take her advice. And, and I think looking back at that time, if I wouldn't have been in a relationship, um, and if 
I would have not let what energy I had, ex, ex, any, any excess energy I had, I would have been putting into maybe seeing what was going on with the relationship with, with my kids and the manip, manipulation that she was, had done and was doing to, doing to me and by default to my, my, to my children. So, I mean, if any advice I could give is just not getting back and in directly into a relationship after, after going through a divorce, it's the effort should any excess time should be put into yourself and, and ultimately your, your children. But that's not what I did. I just jumped right into another relationship and I regret that at times. Yep. I agree with your advice, especially for left behind parents. Jumping from a toxic relationship to another one without a break can often cause more mental distress. Now, with that said, what was happening with your ex-wife and kids while all this was happening with your life? She moves to Maui. And I talked to my kids, you know, a few times during the week. Because in this parenting schedule, I was, I was, it was that I, could, that I would talk to them at, every night at 7.30. Which... For the first month, month and a half, she followed through on. I would talk to my kids at 7.30 every evening. And then it started like dissipating and breaking away. And um, she, uh, and then I hear from them, you know, every couple of days, every, you know, three days a week, sometimes four days a week. But it was really got broken. And that was another red flag that I didn't pay attention to. I should have really been more um, strict on making sure that they called at 7.30 every night. Um, but I didn't. I was paying more attention to my work and paying more attention to this other relationship that I was in. Um, just thinking that things will end up being okay. And they, they didn't. They weren't. But few months go by. I get a call from her apologizing for the divorce, apologizing for how she treated me, apologizing for taking my kids away from me and moving away. And would I be willing to go visit and talk to her and work something out? And because she was so good at manipulating me throughout the years, I, I agreed to it. And my girlfriend at the time was furious that I uh, agreed to go talk to her and go see her, but understood. And so I fly to Maui. She's renting a house from her brother. Her brother has, you know, 10 plus acres there couple of houses. I get there. I, it's Hawaii, right? Like my kids are there. She's there. It's beautiful. And that night when I, when we, the kids are in bed and we're talking the same exact thing that happened in New York happens again. She comes into the room I'm sleeping in, takes off her clothes, and wants me to bang her. 
and I do. And, and says, quit your job and move here. We'll figure things out. We'll work things out. And I go, I, I go, let me think about it. Okay. I think about it. And she's being sweet. She's being nice. And I fly back from Maui, go back to my work. And, you know, the, the, the thought of, of starting over again, moving into Maui, it's all like very tempting. And so I decide, okay, yeah, I'm going to move over. And, and my relationship with my girlfriend at that time, I wanted to keep together. I didn't tell her that I had cheated on her, but, uh, I did. And, um, I quit my job. I had money saved up in my 401k um, that was pulled out of my paycheck regardless. And I was also th- thinking to myself, okay, at least now I'll be able to like be able to actually not s- survive on, on so little money from, from how, you know, gouging my child support was. So I moved back. So I moved to, moved to Maui. It becomes, my life revolving around, around her and her schedule. Um, I have a hard time finding work because most shops there are, uh, are, you know, uncles and cousins and nephews and, and, you know, you gotta be part of the family to work at a shop. They don't really let anybody that's not local work in, in a, in a, in a shop. So, um, I pick up what work I can. And my schedule, like, like I said, just revolves around her when she's my, my day would usually start with getting, getting the kids up, getting them fed, getting them to school. She would leave early for school because by this time she had become a teacher. Um, she went back to school and got a special education degree. And so, um, with the help of how much I pay in child support. And so we uh, go about our, our day. Like it, as soon as I moved in and as soon as I was over there, like it fell right back into the same thing where we weren't really a relationship. Um, she slept in another room. I slept in another room and it was basically like, it, uh, it was, a slowly, um, pass a slow returning pattern of, of her becoming very controlling, very manipulative and my vault, my life revolving around her and her beginning to be unhappy with living there, hating that, that she wasn't treated, treated nicely by local people, by locals that she worked with. She uh, really didn't get along with anybody. Um, it's also to note that like when she left Portland, she, she made friends with nobody. Like she really didn't have any acquaintance, like friends. She knew a couple of people from, from school, but really no friends. And her friend, Kevin, that um, she had back in Seattle, as soon as we had moved to Albuquerque, like she never talked to him again. And just talking to him recently, like that destroyed him. It hurt him, but she, 
She never saw it. She thinks that way, right? So, so we're going about our life there. Um, she starts hating her brother, thinks he's controlling, doesn't like the school she's working, she's working at, doesn't like the environment, doesn't just, just starting to have problems with it too. And, 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 um, wants me to go check out Albuquerque again to maybe see if we can move, move back there. You see, Dan, listening to your story from my side of the table, I see so many red flags that is truly scary for me. Even the point that you just mentioned about how she wants to move the whole family and you again because she's not comfortable with the new place she's in, that scares me. She manipulates everyone around her so easily to follow what she says. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I totally agree. Yeah, the uh, one of the one of the one of the character one of the things that was a repetitive. Um, one of the things she, she would say to me all the time too is like the gas the gaslighting was was something that also kind of threw me off early on that I didn't quite understand what was happening too. Like I'm looking through my notes of what I what I've been what I wanted to say but which I didn't was. Back when we were living in, you know, back when we had first come back from New York and we were living together in her place, like I went out and got my hair cut and, and my hair grows fast. Like it grows so fast. Um, it's, it's Yeah, I totally feel your pain. Uh, my hair is the same too. Thank God that I shave it often so I don't have to worry too much about styling it and all that. Well, dude, my hair, I like, honestly, man, I sometimes hate my hair because it, it's thick and it grows fast and it's, 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 it's a pin of, and you, it's so thick. You can't style it. Cause I end up looking like the singer from the Bee Gees or something like it's so bad. <laughs> it's like a helmet. I've got helmet hair. Um, but, uh, so like when I had moved back, when I went back to Seattle and she convinced me to like us get back together, like I went out and got my hair cut and I, 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 I got a shitty barber and the barber like goes to cut my hair, realizing like she was having trouble with it. So she ended up just get, giving me a buzz cut. So whatever, like a buzz, yeah, it was like a quarter inch thick, you know? Like, and so I go back to the house and she's like, she's like, she's like, what happened to your hair? And I go, I, I, I had to get a cut. And she, she goes, that's crazy. That's you're crazy for cutting it that short. And I go, go just had to get it cut. It's going to grow so fast. And she, she said, she said, that's a little, uh, that's a little extreme. That's, um, that, that's like borderline schizophrenic. And I'm like, what? I, I, just, I just got my hair. I, it's just my getting my hair cut. And, and then it was left at that, right? Like nothing more than that. But it was like, it'll grow back in a week, two weeks, it's going to be at a half inch. And so, so I didn't think anything of it, right? Um, throughout the marriage, throughout the 
throughout the years after that, multiple times, she would tell me that I was seasonal bi- bipolar. She'd tell me that I was that I was seasonally depressed. Um, she would she you know she also had convinced me that my family didn't care about me. That's why they never come in to visit. And and the truth is, in the whole twenty years of my life, my parents have never come to visit me. But it's it's not because they don't want to. I think a lot, I think they were also a bit afraid of her. Um, so this last 20 years of my life, I've really, I've really had no family help. It's, it's been all on my own and a couple of gem people that I've, I've met over the years of, of just good people that have helped get me through this last 20 years. But the the recurring theme of her telling me something was mentally wrong with me has it, it's it's always been a consistent theme. Um, so where were we? We were so she she convinced she told me that I should go check out Albuquerque. So I go check out Albuquerque for a few months. I'm sending basically I'm working at a shop. I'm sending her every every dollar that I, that I make basically, and just leaving myself enough to, to live, to live off of. I'm checking out schools, I'm checking out, you know, places, you know, to to go and housing, housing prices and whatnot. I'm trying to stay away from her family, her sister, just to keep myself independent. So I, uh, I end up you know, a few months go by, she's starting to pack stuff up saying like, she's gonna, she's gonna, she's gonna move. And so I, uh, I'm realizing more and more, like, maybe this isn't a good place to be. Like maybe Maui isn't that bad. And so I tell her, I go, I don't, I don't think we should move. And she comes unglued. Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> says well you do whatever you're going to do you're not welcome back here and child support starts immediately and i'm realizing to myself like holy fuck like she 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 may have had this all planned from the get go right after we got divorced because she realized that if I would have stayed in Seattle, working my job, being in a relationship, that's going to be stability that might be a threat to her and a threat to me gaining custody of my children. And uh, I think her talking me into moving, her wanting to have sex right from the get-go was just a way to kind of honeypot me and get me get me right back into her clutches and convincing me to, to move to check out Albuquerque to, to really ultimately derail me. And that was the same pattern that she had done when we had first got together. Um, when we were sort of a relationship back when I had moved out of my roommate house and she told me that my friends didn't care about me and, and moving into an apartment and then telling me to move out of the apartment when she, when she found out she was pregnant, telling me to move out of the apartment and move in with her. 
It was a way to pull me in, control me, then spit me out to derail me. And this pattern happened multiple times. And it took me up until this last time to finally get my head together and, and, and stop it. So, yep, she's doing exactly what most alienating parents do. Within the community of left behind parents, they say that there is a playbook as all of them follow the same patterns over and over again. If you take all the cases that we have seen so far and see the patterns, you'll see a, a similarity of things that they do. And your ex-wife seems to be a master at it. And it gets much worse, man. It gets much worse. So, so I, I decide, okay, I'm going to go back to, uh, I'm going to go back to, to Maui and, and this, and the work that I was doing there, I was working at, um, by the time after that year living there in Maui, I had started working at this composite shop, um, SIC. And the owner of SIC, this guy, Mark, um, was very difficult to work with. He was, he was very explosive. He was, he was pretty mean. Um, he'd come off being pretty mean. Uh, but really it's just the way he, he was half, he was Dutch. So he just kind of, he, not that it has anything to do with it, but he was just, there was a bit of a language barrier between him him and I, and, and he was very, very point blank, very talented, but very point blank. And sometimes we would just kind of butt heads. And she also, you know, once she realized that I started, that I also enjoyed working there, she also started convincing me that, um, that, you know, saying little digs about my workplace and, and about the people that I was working with. So I'm working at SIC and, and, you know, she convinced me to move to Albuquerque. She convinced me to quit. And so I walked out on Mark, I walked out on working at SIC and, and moved to Albuquerque and ended, you know, I severed that relationship. I, I walked out on, on Mark and, you know, yeah, and if, yeah, it would piss me off too if I was the owner, if, if an employee walked out on me. So I walked out, moved to Albuquerque. She says that she doesn't want to, you know, I, she doesn't want to, to live together. And if I, and would do whatever I'm going to do, child support starts now. So I'm free. I freak out. I'm like, fuck, what am I going to do? I may, I'll probably just move back to Maui if I can. So I moved back to Maui and, and she says that child support is due on the 15th, 750 on the, on the 15th. I better, I, I better see 750 on the 15th. And, you know, the whole time while in Albuquerque, I'd sent her, I bet you probably $15,000 in the short amount of time that I was there. And so I moved back to Maui with like literally a hundred bucks in my pocket after airfare. I talked to my buddy, Richard, who, who, uh, who's maybe looking for a roommate and talked to my buddy, Troy, who, um, was doing, always had some side project going on. So I look in, I look in, you know, Craigslist looking for jobs, looking for positions. 
uh, I take whatever job I could find. Like I moved back. I, uh, like I just dreamt one of the jobs I did was put solar panels on top of the Maui brewing and you know, the, the money I made from that literally cashed and, and met met her at the parking lot at the Maui mall and gave her seven fifty. And then she said, seven fifties due on the first. And so like I picked up whatever work I could to give her, give her seven fifty on the first. And so I started, you know, doing side work with, with my buddy, Troy. I started taking on looking for a position. I couldn't go back to SIC because Mark and I had a, you know, I, I walked out on him. I didn't, I didn't expect to get hired back. And um, ended up working at this canoe shop doing composites and not really working in collision shops because yeah, nobody would hire me because I wasn't, I wasn't anybody they knew. Um, and this is where, this is where looking back, this is where working and living your life and your existence starts for me. And I bet for a lot of others, this is where you start living in a state of, of, of trauma and where, where you start living in a state of grief and, and hurt and pain and confusion. And even at the times when we were living together, it was still the same thing. Like you're, you're living in the state of confusion and not making the best decisions. And you're also being manipulated. So it's, it's really hard to, 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 to get your wits about you. And so I start, so I start working at this, this canoe shop. It's piecework, meaning that, you know, if you, if you spray up an almond mold or you spray up a canoe mold, it's this much. And if you cut seams, it's this much. And if you make rudders, it's this much. And for me, it was like, okay, so I can make, I can make three rudders, cut two seams, spray up three molds, and that'll be around 800 bucks, 900 bucks. All that'll meet my child support. And, and like, it was like basically whatever I could do to make the most amount of money I could within the short amount of time that I, that I, that I had, you know, between the next child support payment. So that's what I did. And, you know, we'd been divorced in 2009. It was now 2010, um, going on to 2011. And I lived with my buddy, Richard, who had an extra room. I saw my kids on Saturdays and you know, I lived a very like marginalized existence. It, uh, I would sometimes eat, you know, only twice a day so that I would have enough money saved up by the weekend to have enough to take them to the movies and take them out to eat so that at least the time that I was with my kids, it was somewhat of a, of a normal existence. And it was a struggle. It was the the months where the months where there was a three Fridays where the two weeks happened to fall, you know, three times in a month. 
I would starve out to meet my child support. And it was brutal. And I had made, I made so many mistakes at that time too, you know, with, with my child support, I basically was stuck in this, just like, okay, make them make as much, make, make whatever, make whatever as much money as I can. And and so that I have my child support. And there were times where like, I, I, I was, it was dumb at the time, but I would just say, okay, I'm going to be at the, I'm going to be at the mall at, you know, it was kind of our meeting place. And I've, I've got child support for you. I've got child support for you. I've got child support for you. Uh, First and the 15th, first and the 15th. And she, uh, there were times where I remember one time where I handed her 750 in cash. She counted it in front of me with the two kids in the back said, I want 750 on the first, her flipping me off. And then the kids flipping me off and driving away. Oh man, I'm so sorry that happened to you. That is brutal. I understand the struggle. I understand the pain that you've gone through. But to make the kids uh, flip at you and all that, that is just brutal. That's uh, inhumane. How did you feel when all that was happening? When you saw the kids doing what the mother is doing? Like standing on the curb, just kind of in shock. Like, what in the fuck is happening to me? how in the fuck did I end up here where uh, like my existence revolves around the canoe shop and a one bed bedroom where my, that's all my existence. Like I had nothing like nothing. And so I started picking the kids up at her house a few months later and I went to her with my the, the the divorce papers, and I said, "Like, can we please change this? I I can't afford to live like this anymore. I I I can't afford to even eat sometimes. So I have enough for the kids on on Saturdays to take them to Maui Mall to the movies or take them to Genki Sushi. Like, I barely have enough to live." off of and she said i'm i go i we need to change these i i can't afford this and she said that's the divorce decree you signed it that's our agreement are you telling me that you're not going to follow through on it are you telling me you're going to give up now and i just remember saying i can't i can't keep doing this i i i can't afford to live like this. And she said, those are the papers you signed them. Deal with it. And I said, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to move away because I can't afford to live here. I can't afford to work here. And uh, at the shop, at the canoe shop that I worked at, it wasn't, it wasn't like I could make any more there either. It was sort of like a locals only good old boys club there as well. I took what work I took the work that nobody else could do or wanted to do. I did all the grunt work there. It uh I I I only saw my kids on on Saturdays. Like I 
I realized like I couldn't keep this up. And the buddy Richard that I was living with, he was having his own problems as well. So I couldn't really, really to even talk to him about, I hadn't, I, I had really nobody to talk to his work. Like the owner, Kai, he was going through divorce, but his existence and through divorce was nowhere near what mine was like. Everybody else was a little bit younger. Like it was, I was very much on an island, on my own island. And no really, no real place to turn. And I, I, and the mistakes I was making with my child support was, was giving her cash. I started getting into the, I started asking her to email me that child support is paid in full, that child support is up to date. And, and she started hating the fact that I was asking for that because I started realizing that if I'm giving her cash all the time, she could always come back and say that she never received it. And we got into a big argument where she said, she's not going to email me. And I said, well, I'm not going to, uh, then I'm not going to pay child support. Then I'm not going to see you on the 15th. And she, we got into it until she finally agreed to send me an email that, that child support is, is, uh, is current and up to date. So I got in the habit then of, because there was no child support order going through the state. And because I was 1099, you know, I was all self-employed because I couldn't afford to actually work in a shop there. Even if I did get a position making $19 an hour, $20 an hour paying seven fifty every two weeks was, I couldn't, I, I, my, a full-time job, I couldn't even afford my child support. So I had to take whatever self employment I could, where I had a chance of making more money. And that was at the canoe shop, which was still not enough. So uh, I got in the habit of of taking of, of I got a phone I got a smartphone I used that phone to take a photo of the cash take a photo of the deposit slip of her bank account of her name on the bank of the of the deposit slip and then you know and it had the timestamp and then I would screenshot that deposit the money into her account take the receipt, take a photo of that and save it. And that's how I started keeping track of, of my child support. Um, so I kept that up, um, to, up until that three year mark where I was, I was in a position to, to, um, uh, reevalu- have my child support reevaluated. So that night that I went to her and said, I can't afford to, to do this anymore. I have to, I have to, I have to, something has to change. Like I, I can't afford to do this anymore. I, uh, I was destroyed. Um, she wouldn't agree to it. And I felt, I felt. Helpless. I, I, I felt, uh, 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 despair, I guess, is probably the best feeling I had. Uh, not the best feeling, the best description of the feeling I had. And I just, uh, I 
got on my car and started driving up the driveway. And my son came up on my, on his bike and asked me if I'm, I, t- I told her I had to move away if I couldn't afford to do this. And he overheard and he said, are you moving away? And I go, I go, I don't know. I think I'm going to have to. And he said, don't leave. And I said, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I have to do something. I can't afford this. And I'm talking to a son, uh, my son who has autism, who's just barely understands what's going on, you know, as well. And I, I drove away and, uh, I'm driving back to my place in Paia and I'm driving up this hill in Maliko Gulch. And I decided like, fuck it. I'm just going to fucking gun it and drive off the cliff and end my life. Just be finished with it all. And slammed on the brakes at the end. And stopped myself from doing it. And just told myself right there that I have to start taking care of myself. Because I couldn't have, I couldn't keep living like that. Hey, Dan, from your voice, I can hear the trauma that you have gone through, the thoughts, the suicidal thoughts and all that. And I'm happy that uh, you chose yourself at the end of the day and did not do anything stupid. But with that said, are you okay to continue? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Just remember that your story now, although it shows uh, your emotions and all that, but it's helping a lot more parents like yourself out there to not make stupid decisions as well. It's showing them that uh, the courage that you had during that particular moment and at the same time is inspiring them to do the same, to choose themselves and make sure that they do the best at any moment. It doesn't matter how hurt or how painful is it. So kudos to you. And for those who are listening in and if you're in the same position as Dan, do not do anything stupid. That's all I'm going to say. And Dan, I'm, I hope you're really okay to continue the interview. If not, we can also take a pause and, uh, and continue this on a later date. Okay. No, uh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. I mean, the, the part of the, one of the things is too, is I don't ever really talk about all of this that much anymore. And yeah, I've that's become- all it is about. Sometimes just talking about it will help you. And at the same time, do remember that you're not just talking to me. We have tens of thousands of listeners who will end up listening to this particular episode. So you're not only talking to me, you're talking to them. And at the same time, you're helping them because you have gone through this and come out the other side as somebody that survived all this. Oh, I know. Uh, honestly, it feels, it feels Oh, it feels good. It feels okay. It feels good to, to, to be talking about this. Now, Dan, so far in this story, right, it seems that you are the unluckiest person in the whole world kind of thing. And you keep stumbling on from one hardship to another one and to another one, right? And I think that uh, we are at the point that you're, you're going to turn your life around. I can see that uh, you have decided to act on taking care of yourself and getting out of this finally, right? And anybody who listened to the first part now, halfway through the second part, they have probably thought that you are the unluckiest person in the whole world, right? But now, 
Tell me what happened after you decided to take care of yourself and change yeah. your situation around. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, after after like I had made that decision to like okay, like I gotta start taking care of myself and figuring out what I what I'm gonna have to do. I uh, I went back to um, that you know the room that I was renting and uh, and called up. Uh, my friend Aaron and told him like, Hey, this is my divorce decree is, is up to a point now where I can, I can go have it reevaluated. Um, I'm thinking about moving back to Portland and taking care of that. And he said, he said, you can, you can live in our basement, our basement based on our house and I'll, we'll help you through it. So I ended up moving back to Portland. Um, and that's when I, uh, that's when I started, um, that's when I also kind of like re really realized too, like I've got to get my, my physical health back in back in check as well. So I went back to Portland. Um, I, Aaron and Kylie helped me fill out the, uh, helped me file the petition for modification. And the second, the, the, the second I filled that modification out, um, I stopped hearing from the kids when she got the copy that I was filing for a modification. Um, I, I also like wasn't working. I started falling behind in child support very quickly. You know, if I, I was paying seven fifty every two weeks, you know, that, that adds up really quick when you, when, when child support goes into arrears. So I, um, I, I filed for a modification, said that I was going to school to become a court reporter. And I was there and said like, you know, maybe you should become a court reporter. Even if you don't decide to become a court reporter, at least you're going to school, you know? And so I did that. And, um, fell behind in child support and um it started getting up there i was i was i hit about the four month mark before the modification finally was starting to really take um take grip and uh i started um paddling outrigger a little bit with a canoe club there um just to kind of get some physical like ex exertion out just to kind of get to some physical exercise to relieve the stress. And, um, you know, I, st the kids, I could never get a hold of them. I'd never get it. I'd text them. I'd call them. I'd, I would never hear from them. And, uh, I, um, realized like, shit, if I, if I'm living over here I, and I file for this modification, like filing, waiting for this modification to happen. My, my driver's license is going to get pulled. I need to get to work. Uh, I need to, you know, it may take forever. I'm realizing that I'm in a system where it could really, I'm seeking out help through the system, but the system can also destroy me. So I, I ended up picking up some canoe work, um, from some damaged canoes that happened in shipping from China that were, that were being sent to Stevenson, which is, you know, a few miles away from Portland. So I, I 
were, I was fixing canoes out there for side work and picking up some, some income from that. And, uh, and decided like, okay, I, you know, chipped away at my child support with that waiting for the modification and decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to maybe seek out, go see if there's any work on the other side of the Island and not go back to the canoe shop. And so I started reaching out to shops on the Western, uh, West Maui and, and found a shop that was hiring that, um, that wanted to talk. And so I flew back out to Maui. I found a shop that I would have, I would never work at. It was just a kind of a shithole, but it was it a decent, uh, I, I could make at least a better living there than what I was making at the canoe shop. But it was also a very volatile workplace. But I ended up deciding to move back. I moved back. Um, I found a place to live. I was making, you know, I was offered a kind of a decent income and, uh, and felt, you know, kept working away at the child support modification. And, uh, in the modification, I, I petitioned that I wanted the kids Friday night, Fridays, you know, Friday night to Saturday evening. And, and I just want to pay fair child support. So, uh, I couldn't hire a lawyer. I didn't have enough money for a lawyer. So I was doing it all by myself and finally got it to a point where it was child support was eight forty six a month. I had my kids Friday evenings to Saturday evenings, you know, one, one overnight. And it finally felt like things were looking up like, like finally, if this just would have been fair and, and a, a schedule and some decency on her half finally, like finally happened, maybe things wouldn't have been so uh, dramatic and high conflict since divorce and up and down and, and that Cartman drama triangle happening, you know, where I come in and help and then she tosses me out and the same thing happening with her mother is same repeat patterns. So, so child support modification happens. I'm seeing my kids in the evenings. I have my kids over on the evenings. Um, they're spending the Saturdays going to the beach, taking them out to lunch, having, you know, like bonding, like we're having like, it's, it's a, it's, it's a good existence, you know, like it's what, you know, I could hope the best I could hope for in, in a divorced father situation. Um, and so I picked them, I picked them up, you know, uh, Friday evening and, uh, get home that night with them. And, uh, I see a, I see a, you know, a, a card in my mail saying that there's a package for me at uh, the Lahaina post office or from my, for my ex. And so I take that card to the post office and I uh, go in, I leave the kids in the car. I go into the post office, sign off on what they want to give me. I get the package. I get back into my van, my, my car. And, 
my daughter's in the passenger seat. My son's in the back seat. Our, you know, our boogie boards are in the back. I've got lunch packed. I've got, you know, a plan for the day. I open up this, this package and it's receipts for, for medical uh, copay, copays and special diet receipts for my son's autism because he was gluten-free that I was to pay for that was also written into my divorce decree and that, that I was to pay $46,000 in, or no, $42,000 in back receipts in, uh, in support to her, not including child support. And she is willing to, and this is from her lawyer, and that, that she is willing to negotiate child support in lieu of collection of this $42,000, as well as what child support went into arrears. Because even after it went into arrear, like even after when I was in arrears and it got modified, it was still, because of how high the child support was to begin with, I still owed, you know, four or $5,000 in, in back child support. So I'm like, oh, I, I like, it just, it just made me realize like, this is never going to end. This is never going to end. Nothing can ever be fair and just to her. It's always going to be a fight. And so I open up this and see what, see what it says. And I go, I speak out and I go, your mom wants me to pay $42,000. And my daughter looks at me, she goes, well, what did you expect, dad? You don't pay your child support. And I was stunned. And I was just like, you know, back looking back at that then too, like my daughter shouldn't know that what's going on with child support. She's a child. Like, she, like her mom's telling her everything that's going on between us two. And so we end up going back to fighting about child support again. And she, uh, she's, um, I could also tell from, from my daughter's actions, from my daughter's, like the way she was holding herself, that like my daughter was also kind of like reporting back to her what it was like staying at the house. Did I have food in the fridge? Did I, did I have clean towels in the bathroom? Did, you know, you know, were we watching appropriate movies and, and like just trying to like find any kind of fault she could in how I was parenting my kids. And I was parenting them. I mean, just, I was parenting them great. I mean, they, they, I, I took great care of them. And so, um, we go back to, to, to back into, to, you know, uh, talking about child support and, um, you know, negotiating back and forth. We agreed to, I agreed to, you know, I, I agreed to 1250 a month in child support and, and whatever pay and, and not, and erasing the copays and, um, and paint and paying what was in, in arrears as well as any split 
50-50 co-payments from there on after. And if it, if I stayed on top of that and paid that within within uh, two years, then she won't come after me for the $42,000 in the back child support. And mind you, by this time, you know, 2012, being divorced in 2009, not including the the money that I was sending her when we were supposedly working things out, I had come up to a figure that I was, that by that time I had paid, I think almost in three years, almost seventy, eighty thousand dollars in in child support, um, because of how much it was, and so we we come to an agreement of twelve fifty a month and paying those back, paying the back arrears and whatever split fifty fifty copays um, were to be paid, and so that was that. We continued on for the next six months, eight months. Um, in that arrangement, uh, it was, you know, it was was child support that was, that was high. I had, you know, it's, it's still difficult to pay for. I mean, I'm still paying that because I realized that I had signed the papers that went to 20, as long as the kids were in school that I'd pay 1250 a month until the kids are 21. The original divorce decree said 18. So it didn't matter that the child support got lowered because those extra three years after 18 is where she's going to make all of her money back anyways. And I, I missed signing that part of it. And, and, and also we agreed to that the child support could not be modified uh, from here on out, no matter how much each partner makes or whoever, uh, you know, ends up marrying or, or combining incomes. So we continue that on. And a year into it, I think is what it turned out to be. I mean, it's so it was long ago. It's 2012, 2013. She starts acting really nice and says, why don't we try to, why don't, let's, let's try to hang out more as a family, start coming over for dinner. So I start going over to her place for dinner, hanging out with the kids. And she seems really nice. Her, her mom was living next near door to her, uh, but moved, moved away. Moved, they had gotten into a fight and, she, and her mom moved back to the mainland. And uh, at the same time, the canoe shop that I'd worked at was asking if I could go in and help out sometimes. And so I was doing that. And uh, so it seems like things are going great. Seems things are going good. She slowly got me wrapped around her finger again and uh, asked me to move in and try again. And I agreed to it. So I started working at the canoe shop full time more. I started where I was working out on the other side of the island. I just moved that to part time. And, uh, and basically my world was revolving around her and her schedule again. And we agreed to me, if I was to move in, that we would split the, split the bills. And, um, and, and no, no child support. So I agreed to that. And, uh, 
weeks after I'd moved in, it got back to this, it went back to the same old pattern where she was very cold, very matter of fact, very, uh, uh, picking me apart. Um, always finding faults in whatever I did. And, uh, and always asking for more and more for what the bills were. And when I started asking her like, well, can I see the bills? Cause it, this doesn't seem right. Like I can't believe electricity is $800 every month and a half or, or, you know, what are we like, if I questioned what was being spent on groceries or if I questioned what was, you know, why the bills were so high, she would guilt me into saying like, well, I've been the one taking care of the kids. So, so how are you to know what I spent on groceries? You're not here, you know, like you weren't here for this amount of time. And like, it was basically like trying to create conflict. And so she could eventually kick me out, which she did. Uh, I finally got to a point where I was just like, I can't keep giving you money if I don't know where it's going. And she said, I'm done with you. I don't want you. I don't, I don't, I, I, I want you out. And I go, I go, okay, well, well, let's, if, if this isn't working out, then let's, let's, let's not make it so traumatic for our kids. And she's just like, no, I want you out now. Like pack your shit. I want you out now. And I'm like, fuck, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I have no place to go. Like I have no family, no friends, uh, other than, uh, you know, Richard had already moved away, moved to China. Troy was going to school in, in, uh, California really wasn't really friends with anybody at the canoe shop. Like I, I was like, I was like, I was like, I, I have to find a place to live. She's like, that's not my problem. I want you out now. You have 30 minutes. And I'm like, I'm fucking stunned. And by this time, her mom had moved back. And her mom just starts railing in on me, like saying that that I'm an asshole to her and that I I don't care about her. And I don't care about the kids. And just basically trying to to verbally destroy me. And so I just like start packing my stuff. I start taking what's mine. I start, I pack it into my truck and I'm trying to get my stuff outside that was out there. And, uh, she shuts the lights off. So I couldn't see what I was trying to see, see my stuff. And I'm like, please turn the lights on. I can't see what she was like. She was like, you're getting, it's almost time's up, get your stuff and leave. And I'm like trying to gather my belongings. And I'm at the same time, I'm hurting like the the destroyed feeling and the and also the embarrassment as my children's father being kicked out is something you can't explain like and also the embarrassment that I let myself fall into this this situation again with her and it, and so I like I pack my stuff I I uh, get it into the truck. I drive to the canoe shop because it's the only place that I have. And like that night I slept on the cutting table, like just trying to wrap my head around, like what the hell just happened. And I get an email from her the next day saying child supports due on the first 
you know, or 15th or whatever it was. I'm like, oh my God, I got sucked back in so she could derail me. She used my kids as a weapon and our, our family unit as a weapon to pull me back in. I, the next morning, I, I, I leave the canoe shop early because I don't want anybody coming in realizing that I had just been kicked out and I was afraid to talk to anybody about it because I really wasn't friends with that anybody at the shop. And I go on Craigslist, find a place to live, and I go out um, to this, uh, out to Haiku, and this guy, Roby, um, who was also a paddler, um, you know, knew that I worked at Kai's, the, the canoe shop, and I told him my situation and said I need a place to live. She, she, like I, I got kicked out and he's like, well, I've got this like one bedroom, like hut out in the kind of the jungle and, and the, in the, in here in the Gulch, if you want to live there, it's 600 bucks a month. And so I, I moved in that day and, uh, and went back to seeing my kids on Saturdays and, uh, and working at the canoe shop, barely making enough to survive. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm working, I'm paddling and, and I'm also living in this state of grief. Um, the state of like being marginalized again, barely making it by, um, living this state of despair and, but still trying to keep my head up and still keep moving forward. Another pattern that we normally see with alienating parents is that they will slowly and surely try to take away the kids from you, which means that they try to cut communications from you and all that. So while you are working hard to pay the payments to her and go back to zero where you're just paying the monthly child support and all that, were you able to be in touch with your daughter and son? I stopped hearing from my kids. Um, I'd, I'd see my son Maybe every other weekend, I would try to text them. I would try to call them. I'd never hear from them. Um, I think the only time that I'd ever get to see my son was when she was was needing a break. Um, I wasn't to drive by that. I wasn't to go to the house. We were only to meet at the mall. And uh, my the girl that I was dating, I ended up moving out and moving back into my old place. Because I, 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 looking back, I realized like, okay, well, maybe, maybe if, maybe if I just in this relationship with her, maybe I'll get to talk to my kids more is what I was thinking. But in doing that, I also hurt her. I hurt her boys because her boys cared about me and loved me. And I, 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 I regret that, you know, like I, I, I regret ever jumping into a relationship. In in a position like that, I should have never done that. That was very like a cruel thing to do. But I think when you're in a position of despair and grief, like what started to be the norm in my life, you start to really not think clearly. Um, and so I I moved back into my old place. And I'd see my son, sometimes my daughter, 
on a Saturday. And then it got to where I'd go to the mall, wait for to pick them up at nine o'clock. They'd be a no, then they were a no show. I'd call, text, wouldn't hear from them. I uh, didn't want to drive by the house because I didn't want to like her, you know, trying to say that I was like stalking or driving by, you know, just being, um, you know, just me trying, basically I just tried to do everything I could to not, you know, shake the beehive with her because anything like she'd always use, you know, she could use against me. So if the meeting was at nine o'clock at Maui mall, that's where I met her. And so I, um, the second Saturday I'm there after calling and trying to text during the week, not hearing anything, still a no show. And so I'm talking about what's going on at work to a Tahitian buddy who his wife was a cop and she had, she heard, you know, what was going on. And so she said, next Saturday, it's, that's the third Saturday. If you don't, if they don't show up, file a police report. So I said, okay. So that Saturday I filed a police report because they were a no show. Called and texted nothing. The next Saturday after that, no show. I filed another police report. I got, I talked to a, you know, coworker's wife that week. And, and she said, you have the go ahead for me to drive by the house to see what's going on. So I went that Saturday at the Maui mall, waited till nine o'clock for them to, at, at nine o'clock for them to show they were a no show said, okay, I'm going to, I called her and said, I'm going to drive to the house. I drove to the house, opened up the gate. There were no cars in the driveway, walked up to the house and the house was empty. And my st- stomach dropped. I, I remember feeling weak in the knees. I remember starting to sob uncontrollably. Uh, and I just, I was stunned. I didn't know what to do. I started calling. I started texting. I started emailing. Nothing. Like, I would, didn't hear a word from her. Nothing. No, like, I didn't know what to do. Um, and so I, uh, I was asked to go into my old work, SIC, to help them with a couple things because I kind of fixed that relationship with uh, Mark. And uh, I went up there and just kind of like in auto mode, just trying to like continue on about my day. Like, cause that evening I was going to go in. So I figured I'll just go in now and, and work. I go in and I just realized like, okay, you know what? I'm going to call her brother. Like, cause her brother, you know, he lived in, he's like, she was renting a house from him, but she had already, she had moved out because he couldn't, she couldn't have a dog. That's another kind of a theme to it too. She's had multiple pets that she's just given away besides that. So I go back to the, I go, I go, I go up to the SIC. I decide to call her brother and I call her brother up and I said, I go, where's, you know, I said, where's, where is she? And he says, 
she had to move off the island. She had to move back to Washington. What did you expect her to do? You don't pay your child support. And I'm like stunned. I'm like, I'm like, you think I don't pay my child support? And, and I go, you know what? I'm going to hang up with you. And then I'm going to call you back in 10 minutes. And I hung up. And by this time with my child support, I had gotten into the habit of, of taking a photo of the money, the, taking a photo of the deposit slip, taking a photo of the receipt slip from after the deposit. And then every month th- threatening her that I wouldn't pay my child support unless she sent me an email saying that my child support was paid in full. So I screenshotted all the recent child supports payments of the last six months and all the recent emails saying that she would, when she would reluctantly say that child support was paid in full. And I sent all of them to him and, and let it sink in for a little bit. Cause you know, they're all timestamped too. Right. And the, the last child support payment was paid a week and a half prior to that current up to date. I think it was even paid a day early. And even though I was living marginalized, I still paid for a cell phone because that cell phone is what saved my ass so many times. So I called him back up and I said, you have anything else to say? And he goes, nope, I'm sorry. I go, where is she? He goes, she moved, she moved to port. She moved, she moved to Washington. I go, I go, okay. Thank you. Hung up, called her one again. And I think by this time he had called her and said, I was asking where the kids were. And so I called her up and said that if I don't see my kids at the, at at the mall by 12 o'clock today, I'm going to be filing kidnapping charges. And, you know, and I left this in a voicemail and she, uh, called me back within 10 minutes saying, okay, you, you've got my attention. Um, I really want to work this out. Um, can we please talk? I, I really can't keep doing this anymore. I'm, I'm really so sorry. And I call her back up and she apologizes for, for, for taking the kids to Washington without me knowing she apologizes for for putting me in the financial position that she put me in. She says she really wants to work things out. Um, she, that she wants to find, find, find to somehow come to a place of friendship and agreement and, and really hopes that, that we could, that we could find common ground. And I'm like, okay, holy shit. Maybe she's finally come to her senses this time. And so we, uh, uh, I, from then on, I start hearing from the kids more. I start hearing from the kids every night. Them, you know, 7.30, sometimes calling me throughout the day. Like it, it feels good because I'm like, I'm talking to my kids more than just once every three weeks. Like I'm actually getting to hear about their day every couple days. Like it finally feels like, okay, maybe she was serious this time. I um, decide like, okay, well, maybe if I move to Washington, maybe we can start new again 
and maybe things will get better. I end up uh, talking to a buddy who, um, who works at the shop that I used to work at in Bellingham and says, Hey, if you're willing to split the, the shop hours, um, you'd have, you could have a position here and, and, um, yeah, and it'd be, it'd be good pay. And, uh, I figured, okay, well, if I live in Bellingham and she lives in Port Townsend, then I could see my kids on the weekends and it's still enough distance from her to where maybe it'll keep things amicable. So I decided to move back to Bellingham. So I moved to Bellingham, October 15th. And, uh, I get, I find a place to live. Um, and I continue paying my child support on time. And, uh, I move and as soon as I move and I'm there, it goes back to me hearing from the kids every few days, not like it was when I was living in Hawaii, because as soon as I was back on the mainland, like there was no way I could then threaten uh, or file a kidnapping charge against her. So I moved back. Um, takes me an immense amount of effort to get settled. I, uh, I get settled, um, by mid November, like the, the kids only want to, only want to see me when they want to see me. Like it's only been three Saturdays there. The fourth Saturday, they're like, Oh, we don't want to see you this Saturday. And I'm like, okay, here we go again. And, uh, so I'm struggling to keep child support paid as well as like I keep child sports current, but I'm also trying to like, um, like just get settled and it costs a lot to get settled. So I'm pinching every penny I can. And I buy this old car, this old Volvo that, uh, needs a little bit of work that I bought for cheap. And I figured, okay, I'll just work on it in the shop and, uh, and get it fixed up so that I could afford, you know, so, so that I can still like have money, you know, enough money to set aside. So the long weekend of Thanksgiving, the kids don't want to see me because that's, it's, and it's also her Thanksgiving. So I take that weekend to work on, I take that, that Thanksgiving weekend to have Thanksgiving with my friends, Aaron and Kylie down in Portland, because they invited me over for Thanksgiving. So I went down and had Thanksgiving with them and then drove up back up to Bellingham. And that Sunday, a couple of guys that I worked with, we all decided to work on our own stuff in the shop that weekend. So I'm working on that car, uh, that I had bought and, uh, it starts leaking gas underneath it. And there was a jump box nearby that uh, was out and, um, was pretty close to the car. And so I get out of the car, I'm in the, like working back and forth inside and out of the car and the car is leaking gas underneath it. And there's a puddle forming and my foot accidentally kicks this jump box. The jump box sparks and a spark lands in the puddle and 
fire happens immediately. The gas tank is leaking fuel out. I, the, the car is up in flames and this is November, right? This is, it's cold. It's super cold out. The garage door is open. One of the guys that I work with, I'm like, I'm yelling at him, like, find a fire extinguisher, fire, fire, like, where's the extinguishers? Where are the extinguishers? We're looking around. We don't see the extinguishers. They were covered up by other stuff put in front of them. I, I grabbed every extinguisher I could in the shop trying to put it out. There was a woman cleaning the offices that had ran upstairs and had to break a window to get out. The, I state they, the other two guys I work with run out of the shop because the, the, the shop is filling up with smoke. I was using everything I could to try to put out the fire. I'm like literally three feet away from this gas tank that could explode. But all I'm thinking about is get out, put this fire out, put this fire out, put this fire out. And I'm inhaling tons and tons of smoke, plastic burning, carpet burning, paint burning, rubber burning, like just sucking in all these fumes and smoke and uh, trying to put it out. Fire department comes, they put out the fire. I get taken into an ambulance. They check me out. My, I'm, I'm not burnt. My hand, my hand, my, the skin on my top of my hands is burnt. The, my hair is singed. And I, uh, I, I feel okay. I feel okay. Realizing like it was my adrenaline. And, uh, and they then questioned me like, how did the fire, like, what, so what happened? And I, uh, I go, I go, the, uh, there was a jump box that started it. And, and he questions, he's like, so you're telling me a jump box started the fire? And then I realized like, oh, he thinks this is arson. And I go, no, I go like, no, my foot literally hit the jump box and it arced and sparked and lit that puddle on fire. The car was leaking gas underneath while I was working on the fuel pump. I accidentally started this fire. And then he was like, realized that it was an accident. So thank God for that. And, uh, talking to him and my adrenaline started running off. I started realizing that I couldn't breathe. And I, uh, uh, started telling him like, I, I need something's wrong. I can't, I can't breathe. I, uh, uh, I don't know what's going on. And they said, well, do you, do you want to go to the hospital? Do you want us to take you to the hospital? And I said, yeah, let they, they, so they put me in an ambulance. They sent me to a hospital, to the hospital. And by this time I also didn't have health insurance. You know, I had just started there. So I'm in the hospital. They, uh, they hooked me up to, you know, respiratory machines and IV and whatnot. My oxygen is, is super low from all the smoke I inhaled. And they said that, uh, I've got, you know, burns inside my lungs and, uh, that they don't have the facility that, that I need. And so they say that I should take flight for life to Seattle so I get put into a helicopter and get taken flight for life to Seattle and 
to the burn uh, unit. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I don't even know how to explain it. Um, I'm there. I, uh, I'm there treating me. They're saying my lungs will heal. Takes some time. They will take time to heal, but they'll heal. Um, my work, I'm, I'm, I, I basically almost burnt this entire shop down. The, uh, I, I call up my ex and I tell her child support's going to be late. I, uh, I, I was in a fire and I'm, I got flight for life to Seattle and she asked me where I was at. And it was just happened to be the same hospital that, uh, that my daughter was born in. And, uh, she comes over and says, if you want to come back to the house, you can come back to the house. I'll pick you up and take you. And, um, I, she, I'm there for three days. She takes me back to her house and even though I'm trying to recover from my lungs being burnt, she, she's, and she's being nice, but not, she's, she's kind of asking what I'm going to do about child support. And I just tell her like, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out, figure it out. And, uh, my, one of my coworkers comes uh, to Port Townsend and picks me up and takes me or picks me up at the ferry and takes me back to Bellingham. And I meet with, you know, the owners and I meet with the, the, sh- the shop manager and they, they realized then that if I wanted to, I could have sued for the, for, for what happened because there was there, the fire extinguishers were all covered up. If they wouldn't have been covered up, I may have been able to put out the fire, but I'm also not the type that would sue. But when that fire happened from the time that fire happened until I was, you know, uh, you know, left the hospital, I went 40 plus thousand dollars, $50,000 into debt in a very short amount of time. And looking back at that, that accident, coupled with the fact that I was in a fraudulent marriage, if that accident wouldn't have happened. I may have been able to eventually afford to get myself a lawyer. I could have fought for my kids and for, for custody and, and been able to, to be more in their life. But because that fire happened and it derailed me financially so much that I was in a position that I was never going to be able to, to get out of. So I go back to Bellingham. It takes the, the, my work decides to continue paying all of us as employees through the insurance for the, from the accident insurance. And they, you know, they, what I don't know is that they have it out for me, you know, because of what happened. And so the shop reopens, <clears throat> the shop is 10 times better than what it used to be. I mean, it was a high end shop to begin with. Now it's like one of the nicest in Western United States. And, uh, I go back, 
working. I like trying to chip away at all the medical debt that I was in. And it went back to me hearing from the kids every few weeks. Um, I'd try to call, try to talk, text them and never hear from them, you know, for weeks on end. And then I'd get an email randomly saying that my son wants to see me this Saturday. And there'd be times where, you know, I'd drive to the ferry, take the ferry across. You know, I'd tell him what time I was going to show up, what ferry I was going to take. I take the ferry across, and as soon as they knew that I was across the ferry, they'd email me and say, "Oh, you know what? He doesn't want to see you today. You can go back home." So then I would go back home, take the ferry back across, email a couple of times saying, "Like, uh, come on, I'm already over here. I would like to see my son." And they'd be like, "Nope, he really doesn't want to today." And I would drive back. I was in a position where I, I couldn't, I couldn't remedy my situation. All I could do was take the punches and roll with it. So I'd go back, and it'd be the same thing. I, uh, I ended up getting myself uh, an apartment. There was an extra room for them, where they could stay. I lived there for a year, and they never came over once. One time, she did decide to come over. To actually take the kids to Bellingham. And by that time, I was in a relationship with somebody. And um, and the girl I was with said, well, like, well, let's have them over for, for, for watching movies at my house. And so we did. And that was a mistake. Like that uh, my daughter at the whole, during the whole time she was there was texting my ex saying that, uh, saying where she was and what the house was like and what they were watching and what food they were eating. Like basically just, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know what you want to want to call it. Just always keeping tabs. And I'm just like, Oh, I couldn't say anything to my ex. Say like, what are you doing to our daughter? Like she's, she's not your, She's not like your little spy. She's not your, like, you can't, I couldn't say anything. Because if I did say anything, then my kids would just get alienated more. Um, and after that incident, because she had, she had come over to Bellingham saying that she had, a, she was on it, going to have a date with somebody, with a cop. <laughs> and that, uh, and that uh, the kids could stay with me. So that's why they were there. and so. After that night, you know, I said, like, okay, I'm going to bring the kids back, right? Like, they wanted to go back to her and her sister's house because she had a sister in Bellingham. And so I uh, took the kids back. Their mother and I had a big, huge yelling match out in front of her sister's place. And I didn't hear from my kids for months after that. No call, no text, nothing. Eight months, I think, went by. And then um, one uh, Saturday, I get this email from her saying she'd like to meet for coffee. And now my kids, you know, they're 16, 15 years old. And so I get this, I get this uh, call from her or email from her. It says, you know, 
that she wants to meet on for coffee. And so I go and uh, meet them for coffee. And I see my son there, my daughter there, and she's there. My daughter's got a huge black eye. My son can't keep his eyes off the ground. And she says to me, as much as I hate you, I need your help. And I go, you have always been able to ask me for my help. What is happening here? And she said that my son was getting violent at home, uh, that he had come at her with a knife, and that uh, that it es- that he dropped the knife. It escalated into a fight. Um, that he had cut, pe- punched my daughter in the face. Um, that uh, it the CPS was called. And that um, she, and that he's threatening suicide and that she's going to, she doesn't know what to do and that she needs my help. And so I said, okay, well, um, I, I don't know how you want me to help you. I don't, I, yeah, I haven't heard from you guys in eight months and, and I, and this is what I'm seeing. So how would, how would you like me to help you? And so this girl and I were living together and I said, well, I've got this new girlfriend. Um, we've been living together for the last, you know, six months. Um, he's what he, if you want, he can come up and stay with us. And she agreed to that. So I kept my son for a couple of days. I could tell that he needed it. You could tell that he, it deescalated him. You know, I took him for, Ikes and took him on walks and just just let him kind of veg out is because it's what he needed. And then she said she wanted him back, so I brought him back. And then it went back to me not hearing from him for for a, for a couple couple months. And then uh, I got an email from her and she said um, that my son was in Seattle Children's Hospital. And by this time, it was. It was January and uh, January of 2016. And in November of 2015, my work had fired me um, on on the anniversary of when the fire happened. And they had basically kept me on, I think, out of legal procedure. because of what happened and they just, they wanted, they had it out for me and I don't blame them. You know, it was an accident, even though it was an accident, it was still something that happened that, that, uh, they got to be pissed too. I mean, I, it was millions of dollars worth of damage. It was horrendous. Um, and, uh, so I ended up leaving that position. And I ended up starting my own canoe repair shop in January, like at a survival because no other shop would hire me because of what had happened, the stigma of the guy that caught the shop on fire within the industry. And so I started my own canoe shop and I had also started paddling with a club there, a canoe club. So I 
I, the same month I started my shop is the same month that my son started going to Seattle Children's Hospital for suicide ideation. So, um, she again said she needed my help. So I went, I, I would drive down to Seattle Children's and stay with my son overnight in the ward and then get up the next morning, drive back up to Bellingham, work, build my shop in the evenings, drive back. And, um, you know, he was in there for three weeks and basically came down to them telling her that she needs to stop giving him his way with whatever he wants, because when he doesn't get his way, he starts to escalate and his behavior starts to escalate. And because she's a special education teacher and he's a special needs child, she took great offense to that because how dare somebody tell her how to parent her own son. So she pulled him out of Seattle, Seattle Children's, told me that she d- didn't require my help anymore and, and, and to make sure I stay up on child support. And so it went back to like me not hearing from him. I uh, started getting myself involved in just in paddling more. And then I started doing some fundraisers like cancer fundraisers to just kind of like just help with like making, just helping myself feel better about who I am as a person. Right. And I would talk to people that I paddled with like what was going on, but you know, it was all on deaf ears and people not really realizing what the situation was or what kind of position I was in. And them also thinking that because I worked at this canoe shop in Maui, that I was some great paddler, which I wasn't at all. Like I barely, I was barely, you know, I was an okay paddler with damaged lungs, but like, you know, so I was just talking to them about my situation. Not many understood. Uh, but one guy who I did paddle with, who was a, who was a psychologist recommended a counselor to me. And so I started, I started talking to a counselor that, you know, I paid out of pocket for because I couldn't afford insurance. So I was also still paying on all the back medical debt that I had incurred. And, um, I, uh, continued on with my business that year and, uh, continued to go to a counselor, started becoming more aware of what was kind of going on. And at that same time, that, that year of 2015, I started Googling parental alienation and, and, and what was going on and like, you know, just what, you know, on, when you do a Google search of what parental alienation is, you have a lot in front of you. And one thing I want, one thing I want people listening and to understand is in being in a, being a male and being in a, in, in a position like that, there's a lot of hate out there and you have to really, you have to really keep that in mind because it, it, it's destroying to yourself and to, to I mean, really to your mentality and, and to the community you live in. I, uh, I came across Dr. T and I came across a voice for men and 
MGTOW and all these really like, like the Dr. Tara Palmonti, I talked to her a couple of times and she did have a couple of valid points, but, but the overall gist of it is there's, there's, there, there's, it's very easy to find volatile information out there that points fingers and, and labels the others and like the other party or like my ex, like, yeah, my ex is narcissist. Yeah. She is sociopath. Um, and high conflict and it's easy to get, get onto that hate train and ride that and be stuck in that. And, and in, in doing that, it really screws up your mentality and it all, it, Thankfully, like I, 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 you know, experienced like letting that information feed me. And then also like realizing like, this is a lot of just hate and it, hate goes nowhere. And if you're stuck in that and you're, and you're, and you're stuck in hating your ex and I have plenty of reasons to hate my ex and for the things she's done to my children and I, but that hate will also destroy you. And the one thing that has kept me from, from destroying myself and everybody else around me is forgiveness in the human element and, and realizing like the, your family of origin is where all the problems really seed. It, 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 where the problems exist. And I, and for me, that's it helped me get past a lot of the struggles that, that I've been put through. All right, guys, this is the end of part two with Dan. Throughout this episode, you heard from Dan about the mistakes, the trials and the tribulations that he went through. In our next episode with him, we will speak more about his recovery and how he managed to get through everything that happened to him. Now, I would like to remind everyone that our goal here is to share knowledge with you guys and show that you're not alone in this. With that said, if you need specific legal advice, please get your own independent advice from a qualified legal practitioner. If you're a minor or if you happen to have a difficulty in understanding certain parts of this episode, please approach a responsible adult or someone knowledgeable and ask them for clarifications. We have done our best to make sure that it doesn't offend anyone. And if you have further questions or comments regarding Find My Parent or this interview or this podcast, you can email me at sk at findmyparent.org. If you're someone who got separated from your own parent and would like to find your parent again, please go to www.findmyparent.org and fill out your details. With the help of our smart algorithms and matching technology, we hope to help you find your alienated parent again. If you're part of an NGO or even a private company passionate about this topic, please reach out through the contact us page in findmyparent.org and we hope to work together with you. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Speak to you next week. Take care. Till then.